This is Fresh Tracks Weekly. So this week we are going to do a deeper dive on grizzly bears. We're going to talk a little bit about the recent attack that happened in Montana and also the increasing frequency that we've been running into bears in the field. As for an update of what we have going on, I once again was out scouting for sheep, probably the most productive trip I've had all year, found some rams, found some goats, saw some grizzly bears, and just had a great time hanging out in the alpine. So far I'm 16 days into scouting and I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of what this unit has to offer. But Michael, of course, has been out fishing, so we gotta go check in and see what he has going on. All right, boys, we're not in the fishing corner today. We are in the studio because I just wrapped up a segment on some fly tying, um, some flies that we used last week when Jace and I went out to a fabled river here in Montana. Um, I wanted to do a video on like using my, my deer hair and my bunny hair that I harvested last year, so that was pretty cool. We had some success that day and uh, a pretty nice brown and a few other fish. That following afternoon, my father came into town from Ohio and this was actually really cool because my dad over the years has just kind of started to get into to fishing. And this is the first time I had ever gone out, just me and my dad um, on a fishing trip. He came out, we spent three days exploring southwest Montana, um, going to some, some cool rivers, and the fishing was a little bit tough. The first day he caught a ton of whitefish, the second day he finally caught a, a trout, and then the third day we hit up a pretty awesome little creek and caught some native Yellowstone cutthroat. That was just a good time. Um, besides that, I've been fishing in the creek in the backyard a little bit. It's been all right. Haven't really caught anything worth sharing uh in the past week or so but the good news is tomorrow jace and i we're heading out to another famous river here in montana going to be doing some dry fly stuff we're going to take the boat out and we'll be showing that to you guys here in a few weeks got plans to go walleye fishing two times this weekend and it's just it's just it's summer here in montana so you can't complain fishing opportunities all around um and yeah, Marcus, appreciate you having me on. Back to you, buddy. As for news, in Nevada, feral horses are again in headlines after animal advocacy groups have been mad about the conditions in which horses are gathered on public land. Wild or feral horses have been overpopulated in Nevada for years, resulting in declines in habitat, competition for resources with native wildlife, especially over water. And since 1971, the Wild Horse and Burrows Act has made management of horses limited to non-lethal means. Also, since the mid-1970s, the Bureau of Land Management has rounded up horses every year, letting people adopt them, but with the vast majority of them going to what they call off-range pastures or corrals, which are basically locations where the federal government supplementally feeds horses to keep them alive. Since these roundups began, the BLM has gathered over 200,000 horses, and they are still overpopulated across multiple western states. Recently, seven different Nevada counties have declared feral horse overpopulation a state of emergency, and State Senator Ira Hansen sent a letter to the congressional delegation requesting action on the matter to reduce horse numbers down to the appropriate management level, which is seven to 14,000 horses. Currently, wild horse numbers are five-fold the appropriate management level, which would mean that federal agencies would need to remove over 40,000 horses. But while many Nevada counties and wildlife managers attempt to bring horse numbers down, the animal welfare groups continue to battle to stop these horse roundups over concerns of a handful of horses being killed and injured when they're corralled and moved. The animal welfare groups often film the roundups and publicize it when horses are killed or injured, which can be disturbing to see. 
But just for example, this year, over the course of rounding up 3,000 horses, only about nine have died. And meanwhile, thousands of animals are affected from horse overpopulation. Horses eat and drink themselves out of resources, dying of dehydration and malnutrition. Countless other native animals are suffering the same fate. But this happens slowly over time and doesn't make good headlines. People get fired up when they see one horse breaking its leg and seem to worry less about the thousands that are dying slowly of starvation. We continue to see changes for the 2023 hunting season as state game agencies account for the toll last winter took on wildlife populations. Recently, both North Dakota and Montana announced tag reductions. In North Dakota, the total available pronghorn licenses was set around 420, which is down from 1,970 licenses last year. North Dakota Game and Fish stated that pronghorn surveys indicated a 40% reduction in total population with a fawn ratio of 43 to 100 does. The reduction is likely due to heavy snowfall in many areas that started in early November and lasted through April. On the bright side, the department also stated that after all of this moisture, the habitat conditions are now excellent, providing a hopeful future for the animals that did survive. In Montana, mule deer quotas were recently adjusted down as well due to lower than desired survival and recruitment rates. The reduction in quota came exclusively from restricting doe harvest. This was done by reduction of doe licenses as well as restricting their general licenses to be antlered buck only, whereas in the past they could be used for either sex. In the southeast region of the state, this marks a 91% reduction of doe tags from the high in 2020. While many areas in Montana didn't get hit as hard this winter as surrounding states, it was still a tough winter coupled with long-term drought that has led to these less than desirable numbers. The Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation just detailed that over $10.2 million will be spent in Wyoming on wildlife and habitat projects. 23 different projects will see the benefit of this funding. Everything from replacing old fence with wildlife-friendly fence, removing conifers to promote aspen production, planting aspen trees, improving water distribution, treating for noxious weeds, conservation agreements, scientific studies looking into migration routes, funding Wyoming's Access Yes program, as well as funding various shooting sports facilities and clubs, along with Wyoming Disabled Hunters and the First Hunt Foundation. Anyway, pretty cool stuff. RMEF was able to help facilitate all of this by providing $525,000 and leveraging over $10.2 million in partner dollars to make it all happen. The Wildlife Society Bulletin recently published an article talking about how there are shifting attitudes within its membership base, particularly within the role of hunting and trapping. Wildlife Society members are often those working as wildlife professionals, especially within state management agencies. There are plenty of other members, such as people who work for nonprofits, federal agencies, and just members of the public, but more often than not, the Wildlife Society is often seen as representing and aligning with many state wildlife agencies. That's why this article is intriguing to me. It gives insight into the minds of those who are managing our wildlife and making decisions on things like hunting regulations. The article compared two surveys of Wildlife Society members, one from 1998 and the next from 2020. The surveys asked respondents about their level of agreement with various management statements, ethical statements, and management activities. While there was a lot of detail and nuance in these surveys, the basic takeaway that I got is that in the last 20 years, wildlife managers have increased their agreement with the use of ethical hunting and trapping as a management tool. While the majority of survey respondents seemed more inclined to support hunting and trapping than they did 20 years ago, there was a shift within the ethical category to stronger support if the activity involved fair chase and sportsmanship and if it utilized harvested animal. There was, however, a decrease in agreement with the use of high fence game ranching and raising fur bearers in commercial facilities. The article points out that this could lead to a disconnect between members of society and wildlife professionals because broader society has been shifting towards a more protectionist view of wildlife versus the more traditional utilitarian view where humans utilize wildlife resources. 
The article also mentions that many of the survey respondents had been in the profession for more than 20 years, suggesting that there could be a significant turnover in the coming years, leading to another shift in beliefs and attitudes within the profession. Anyway, the article is a fascinating glimpse into the changing beliefs of wildlife professionals. In Montana, a woman was killed by a grizzly bear near West Yellowstone, leading to a closure and subsequent search for the bear. Every year, several bear attacks occur in Montana, and so for this week's Deeper Dive, we're talking about how we feel about grizzlies and what we do to avoid them when we're out in the field. Well, this week, we're talking grizzly bears. <clears throat> and what prompted that is the recent bear attack, unfortunately, in Montana. Um, and it seems like we see a few every year. Yeah. And so there's a fate, unfortunately, fatal bear attack in southwest Montana this past week. 47-year-old woman, originally from Kansas, was out on a jog or a hike. Yep. In a very popular area, uh, a place where I've spent a lot of time archery elk hunting. Um, and she got attacked and didn't survive. Yeah. It's bad. Pretty close, and honestly, pretty close to, like, some established areas, established campgrounds, mm -hmm. like, pretty popular oh, yeah. trails. Like, yeah. Well-used spots. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I guess it's a, well, it's a reminder that bears are very deadly. <laughs> they can yes. They can kill you very easily if they want to. Um, and we have a lot of them in Montana. Um, people in Alaska have been dealing, well, in Canada have been dealing with a lot of bears in recent years too, but there's different politics at play in different states and provinces. And um, Alaska, they're hunted. Montana, they are not. Correct. Nor British, Wyoming, nor Idaho. Yeah, so lower 48, there's no grizzly hunting. In British Columbia, there was. Closed now. But now it is closed. Most of the Yukon, Northwest Territories, they still hunt grizzlies. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about Northwest, but I know Yukon they do. Okay, yeah, I'm, yeah, I guess I'm making an assumption there. But uh, but in terms of, yeah, so I mean, we've talked about delisting bears in the past, uh, so that's one aspect of this, and I don't know. We're just kind of spitballing about different aspects of grizzly bears. Like, what, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on the... I, you know, when I read an article like that, and like you said, it, we seem to read about them more often. Uh, obviously, it's like, oh, man, I feel terrible for her and her family and, and, and all that. But then you, you, you get over that, and it's like, okay, we got more people on these landscapes. We have more bears. Somehow the bears are expanding <laughs> in all of this human expansion. We're going to have, unfortunately, we're going to have more of these encounters. Right. And we're out doing the things that we do, <laughs> and we're putting ourselves in that probably higher risk situation than this person thought they were having by just going on a hike. Right. Yeah. One, I would be curious if, if there's stats on that, like the grizzly negative encounters, are, are they more tending to be with hunters or just rep? Casual recreationalists. <clears throat> I was trying to look that up a little bit, and like I couldn't really exactly deduce what what's what. Um, that if you Google bear attacks, like one of the first things that pops up is you only you have a one in two point one million chance of being attacked by a bear. 
But I would imagine if you're an archery elk hunter in bear country, that statistic goes oh, up yeah. significantly. Right. Say you spend 30 days a field in that archery season, you're out there every single day. Like, yeah, yeah so it's all, it, the, all, the, all those factors. Like, if you're really in the middle of those odds up, if you're in the middle of New York City, yeah, your odds are pretty low. <laughs> right. So it's like, it's obviously yeah. not a very fair stat. But, uh, yeah. And you just think about the nature of the activities. And we were talking about this beforehand, how, some people we interact with will tell us, I, I just, uh, I tried to hunt in grizzly country. I just can't do it, man. I didn't have any fun. And, yeah. And, and I think we're, I don't want to say we're callous to it. We accept it. We've done our best to be prepared. And so we go do it. But some people, they, they're just like, I, I'm, I just can't do it, man. Yeah. And but, yeah, for me, I feel like it's just having an awareness of, where the bears likely are that time of year. And even when I'm hunting often, I like if I'm traveling from one hunting spot to another and I'm not expecting to run into elk or something, I'll still be loud. I'll just start talking on the trail. If I'm with somebody talking loud, every once in a while just kind of let out a little like, hey there, what's yeah. going on? You know? <laughs> because, it, you know, that that's yeah. one thing. A lot of these bear attacks happen when you surprise them. Yeah. And so there, there are little things you can do. And the biggest one is avoiding where the bears are. Right. And yeah, so, I mean, Jace, when you or you and Chloe go out in grizzly country and it's not hunting season, you probably carry bear spray. Yeah, I, I'll carry bear spray and a pistol most times. Yeah, you're probably in a pair. So, you, you know, you look at that checklist, and I guess we could throw it up here for the audience. I'll bring my dog. It, yeah, you know, <laughs> travel in at least pairs. Right. Make noise. You know, the, the don't be sneaking around. Uh, there, there's a whole list of things they say you should do to eliminate the possibility of a bear encounter. And then I overlay that to what we do when we're archery elk hunting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> I get the wind in my face, so it's not going to smell me. It's It's got to be close enough to see me. And they got poor vision. I'm quiet. Sometimes I'm alone. I'm squeaking on this little thing that sounds like a lost elk calf. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's kind of crazy, uh, yeah, how much sometimes archery elk hunters stack the odds against them in, yeah. that, in that realm. Yeah. Um, I mean, th this lady, uh, th I thought it said she was on, she's jogging. Well, I believe that, at least the article that I read most recently, that was a guess. I think that was okay. just an FWP spokesperson saying, they, they they were presumed. likely out jogging, jogging. and yeah, yeah i mean I, you think I, about if it was a windy day and you were jogging through some of those trails with the tall vegetation we have this yeah. year one if it's windy or noisy in any way and you're jogging you're not going to see it it's not going to hear you or smell you until like yeah right, in, or right on a corner of the trail or something and if it's got a cub or two with it, it the, the game's over. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I would say s still often they run the other way. But, yeah, that that seems to be a common theme on these attacks or when you surprise them at close range, they just, re you know, react. And it's a quick charge. You don't have a lot of time. And that's the, in the scheme of things, like, in so many of these circumstances, even if you have bear spray or a pistol or a shotgun or whatever, 
the chances of you even reaching it in time are pretty low. Like there has, there's plenty. I mean, I shouldn't say plenty. There are examples where people have successfully, you know, dissuaded bear attacks with every option, bear spray, pistol, making noise, whatever. But it's just like, until you're in that situation, it's so hard to tell, like, realistically avoiding the area altogether is the best. And I think there are things you can do um, a little bit. Like if you still, like in bear country, just understanding like in certain spots, they're going to be keen in on pine nuts in September. And they're going to be up in these areas. If you, if there's a bunch of white bark or limber pine that are dropping their, you know, their pine cones are going to go in there and be munching on those. There's mothing sites where there's just like a ton of moths. They'll go key in on that. There's a certain like food sources and, um, just being aware of that and just like if you're seeing a bunch of sign, <laughs> yeah. well, maybe maybe we go to the next drainage over, you know. So th- there are definitely things you can do, but um, and sometimes I, I think it's and I hate to be sounding like oh well, too bad. Sometimes bad luck just happens. Oh, for sure. And. You know, there's all the second guessing of, well, she didn't have bear spray. Okay, she didn't. But like you said, would she have had time to even deploy it? Yeah. You never know. You don't know how close it was before her and the bear saw each other. The bear saw her and decided to attack. So there's there are some risks with recreating or hunting or camping or whatever in wild places. And we hear some people say, well, why do we even have these dangers out there? Well, that's part of wild. Yeah, I, yeah, for sure. I, I know some are going to say, easy for you to say, Randy. Where do you get eaten? Well, no, I, I get that. But if we say we want wild places, part of what comes with that is the that risk. Yeah. You know, there, there's not escalators there for you to easily get up the rock face. You know, there's mountain lions. There's there, there's a lot of stuff there that has some risk to it. Yeah. And unfortunately, in this case, just that risk came to this terrible end. Yeah. Yeah. And then, the, yeah, in the scheme of things, like, there's a lot of other things that, like you said, it can kill you or injure you. And, the, I mean... I saw two grizzly bears this weekend, but my biggest injury was uh, (laughs) slipping and falling on some rocks, not not the bears. Have you had any encounters, Jace? No. No? And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Uh, I've I've had two. Two? Yeah. And this is where when we talk about good luck, bad luck, right? Both times I was coming – through an area that was heavily vegetated. One of them, I was calling to some elk I saw up on a hill. And me and the bear met one on a knoll, like right at a little rise in a trail, and one, me coming around a corner. Fortunately, and this is where good luck is, I think they were both boars. They were very large bears. They were not defending cubs. They weren't defending a food source, and they turned and ran. But they were so close, they were like 20 yards. Wow. If if they would have decided, or that would have been a sow with cubs, or I would have stumbled upon a carcass or something they were defending, I very likely would not be here talking to you guys right now. 
And that's just the luck, right? This lady, if she would have ran into a boar rather than a sow with cubs, he might have just hightailed it out of there. Like, I don't need any trouble. Yeah. No, and most often, I've never run into one at close range. I've always run into them, you know, at a distance, like right around 100 yards is the, you know, closest encounter. And I just kind of talked to him, and he turned around and ran the other way. And I was as simple as it was. Black bears have run into a lot closer and never had an issue with them, but they've always turned around and run the other way. Um, so, you know, it's not like every grizzly bear out there is going to maul you, you know. It's just, like you said, luck of the draw. Yeah, and, and I think most of them learn how to stay out of trouble. Yeah, which I think – so I'm curious what you think, guys think about this because I feel like there's a theory, and I, and I have no idea if it's true, and I'm not trying to – well, I don't know what I'm trying to do. But You're going to poke the bear. Poke the bear a little. Uh, so in Alaska, when they've been hunted for a long time, right, the theory is that because they've been hunted, they have this stronger – respect and fear of humans. Do you think that that does start to play a role in lessening the likelihood of these, like, bear attacks? Like, when the bear does encounter a human, it associates the human with danger versus in Montana where they haven't been hunted their entire lives and they encounter a human. They might not have a, you know, they don't know to fear humans. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's the theory that he bounced right. around. It makes and it makes sense in my head, right. but I don't know if like if there's actually any validity to it. Uh, I don't know if there is either. I mean, I I get the logic behind it, but how are we going to go train these thousand grizzly bears within the Greater Yellowstone area any more about humans, short of taking a shot at every one of them? Right, to and give that, some negative. Even if even it's even if they you know legalize grizzly hunting tomorrow, it's not like you're going to be able to shoot every single one of them. No. So it's like if it's a quota of a couple bears, like that's not going to ed- educate the, a thousand. Uh, yeah, and so. I mean even in Alaska, that's like not every single grizzly bear in Alaska is scared of people. There's there's problem bears like oh for sure. So it's like yeah, I mean I would say I would make the argument that yeah i don't think it would change it like that the i think i think it would be yeah. i think it yeah I, I, if that theory were to be correct i think it would have to take place over a very long time long time it's not like it would be a lot an instant of bears change. would have to die yeah because like you said if they're giving out say three tags in the state of montana starting tomorrow geez that, that's not gonna change their mind anytime soon <laughs> and if you talk to rural people in alaska they kind of take this situation into their own hands if they get a problem bear they deal with it. Right. They either shoot them in the ass with buckshot or they kill it. Yeah. And you don't get to do that here. Yeah. And so yeah. that, yeah, exactly. The, so if that, yeah. The, that, pro- the problem bears get, a, get a chance to Montana. continue their problematic behavior until one of the agencies intervene. Yeah. So I, I think it's a hard comparison between Alaska and Montana uh, or Wyoming or wherever and you know, there's the statements in Wyoming you hear very often about, oh, when they hear a gunshot go off, they come running because they know there's a gut pile. Right. I don't know if that's true or not. I've done a lot of shooting in grizzly country. I, I've, I've never had one run up and say, hey, I want your elk. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I mean, I can imagine, though, that, you know, in traditionally good hunting areas that there's carcasses year after year 
those bears are going to be trained on that, and they are going to know that there is a reward in that drainage every year. The first elk I actually shot well, after moving to Bozeman, uh, I had a grizzly on it. Luckily, I took the quarters away from the carcass, but it went to the carcass. And so I, I was able to get the quarters out of there. And, of course, I was I was an idiot and didn't have a gu- I mean, I, I shot it with a rifle, but I didn't have any bear spray or rifle when I was going back to get quarters. I was just <laughs> running back to get quarters like an idiot. I'm like, huh, those are really big grizzly tracks. They were not here a second ago. And then he's like. <laughs> oh, but, Marcus, that's, uh, what does Norman McLean say? We were too young and foolish to know we owed the world a tragedy. Yeah, well, was, well, I think it was because it was, I was packing them out one quarter at a time, and I came back, there's two quarters left, and I just like, I just, I think I tied a rope to one and bear hugged the other one oh, and just started geez. running down the hill <laughs> and got close, I got down a little ways and then like strapped one to my pack and just drugged the other one the whole wow. way out. <laughs> well, th- those are things that, you know, our audience is mostly the hunting audience. There are things that you need to do to mitigate or lower the risks. Keep a clean camp. Yeah. Follow the food storage regulations. They don't have those there just because they want to be a nuisance to us, right? They they oh, give yeah. these guidelines, and if you shoot an animal, you did the right thing. You brought the carcass or brought the meat away from the carcass. Yeah. Never hang your meat right next to the carcass. Hang it someplace where when you approach, you can see it from a distance. And there's all these things that they give us the checklist of what we should do. And by doing those, hopefully, you aren't just that bad luck event that happens. Yeah. Don't don't ignore that stuff and make it a greater likelihood that you're one of those bad luck events. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know that you can convince people to be comfortable in grizzly country. I think you just you're blissfully ignorant that they're here (laughs) and then you don't worry about it or you learn to accept it like we do. Or I think there's just some people that if you aren't comfortable in grizzly country, don't go hunt there or don't go camp there. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit that the majority of my hunts that I'm out solo hunting, I will majority of the time not go to grizzly country to hunt by myself. I'm not, Ashamed to admit that, but no. grizzly bears—they they do freak me out a little bit. So yeah, and it's 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 so much more enjoyable because I've I've spent days out in grizzly bear country where it's just it's easy, it's in the back of your head all like the whole time you're out there, and it's like I'm I come out to hunt to have a good time, enjoy <laughs> myself. If I'm kind of like worrying, then I'm not having as much fun. So I go out to a place where I know I don't have to worry about them, or they're a lot less likely to be there. It's like I'm. You know, I still carry my bear spray, but it's yeah. not something that's just eating at me the whole time. Yeah. And, yeah. How do you sleep in grizzly country, Marcus? Well, edgy? I sleep, I sleep great. Yeah. <laughs> For better or worse, I don't know why. But, yeah, no, I, yeah. I've i just come to, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I could get whacked by a grizzly bear at any moment, but that's just something that could happen. And I, I try to take the necessary steps, like you were saying, and, I carry, whenever I'm in dense grizzly country, I would carry bear spray and a pistol. There are times when I would carry two bear sprays because we'd be in far enough that if you had to use one, you might have to use the other one. So there's this, and again, like they might not work in every scenario, but it's better than no deterrent. Um, and then, um, 
yeah, just trying to camp in smart spots, trying to figure out spots that they're not going to be cruising. Um, just, yeah, it's hanging your food in different spots, not cooking close to your camp, just like things that are producing smells. But that's some, sometimes it's inevitable. Like you kill an animal, you're going to have blood all over you. Like you're going to smell. Like it's, but like, Hopefully that elk carcass is a bigger attraction than <laughs> <Right>. you. <laughs> and so there's just things that you you know you, you hope and you yeah. just hope for the best <laughs> that you're not gonna not gonna have a negative encounter. But for whatever reason, I yeah, I don't have an issue with it. It's it's in my mind. I'm thinking about it, but I don't let it affect right. where I go too much. No, I, I'd say I'm close to the, to that same camp. Uh, the two places that I've had those encounters are only about two miles apart. Really? And it's been a while since I've been in there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I can't say it doesn't affect me. Uh, I, I've When we go to our shows and, and events and stuff, a lot of people ask us about that. And they, a lot of them really struggle to sleep well in grizzly country. They're like, man, I lay there and I hear a squirrel or I hear a, you know, pine cone fall or it's like, so I don't sleep at night. And then when it's time to hunt, I'm out there taking a nap all day long. And so that's not fun. So if, if you've come to the conclusion, like Jay said, you know, if you're just not having any fun, accept that and, and go somewhere else, even though somewhere else's, are getting harder and harder to find, Jace. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, well, it's funny. Uh, a few spots that I frequently hunt at, like, that when I first, and I've only been in Montana coming up on five years now, like, five years ago, you, you'd say, there's no grizzlies over there, and now there's multiple sightings <laughs> there and beyond there. So it's like, yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're venturing to yeah. Yeah. different well. areas. I feel bad for that lady. I feel bad for any family that that happens to. I don't know the solution to it short of getting rid of all the grizzly bears. And I don't, I'm not in favor of that. Yeah. It is, like, like you said, though, it adds to the wild. I mean, it's unfortunate when things like this happen, but um, you still have a way better chance of dying in a car accident on the way to the trailhead. Um, in the scheme of things... <laughs> You, there's a lot more things that are going to kill you. It's just, I think bears are intimidating. They're scary. Uh, it's it's pretty gnarly to think about that as a way to go, but the chances are pretty low in the scheme of things. So yeah, um, and the Hugh Glass type stories make they captivate our minds and our audience, you know, our 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 imagination. Yeah, and they end up making headlines. Yeah, and. Uh, so anyhow, for, for I guess my takeaway from that is it, it just reminds me to rethink it again. Uh, how much time I spend in that general area is is a, enough to to make me say, "All right, Randy, should you be in this area or should you be up higher? Should you be lower? Should you be some, like you were saying? Go to the places they're not at." Yeah, and, and I know enough about grizzly bears to know where they usually are seasonally, and do not leave without my bear spray. Yeah. None of this. Oh, this is just going to be a quick jaunt. Uh, heck with the bear spray. You know, she probably thought, "Ah, oh, there's ATVs, there's vehicles, there's houses, and 
I don't, I don't name bear spray. Maybe I don't. Yeah, know it's hard that. to know. But yeah, it, who knows? But so, uh, hopefully, that's the last report we'll we'll hear of this year. Yeah, or for a long time. But in archery season, we usually hear of three to five of them. Yeah, usually it's the average in archery season the last few years. So, well, don't. Let's be hope. safe out there, you yeah. guys. Yeah, be smart. Be, be yeah. safe. The best way to be safe is to be smart. So. All right. With that, right. we'll wrap it up. So Thanks. when you go out this weekend, Marcus, scouting, Yes. keep your head on a swivel. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of them in there. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out. Yeah. Be careful, man. All right. <laughs>